You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. You know, I, I, I didn't understand anything about politics or, or religion or, or behavior, obviously. Um, but I understood music. Um, like every kid, you kind of rebel against your parents a little bit. And so uh, even if their things are really cool. Uh, so I thought I was going to be a basketball player. And then realized not quite hitting the six foot mark and only being able to jump about three inches off the ground. Uh, it was it was definitely a, 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 a time to get away from that and find something new. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love Main Radio, show number two fourteen, Soul Music, airing for the first time on Sunday, October twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. The main music scene is vibrant and evolving, from experienced musicians who have played on the world stage to hardworking newcomers who are making their voices known. We have a front row seat to a wealth of talent. Today we speak with singer-songwriters Jonathan Edwards and Lyle Davinsky, who are each bringing their soul-filled messages to the Maine community in unique ways. Thank you for joining us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaMe.com for more information. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room. Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bringing the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. As listeners of Love Main Radio realize, I'm constantly fascinated by the way in which life tends to wrap itself around and around and around itself. Um, one of our very early guests was Dr. Stephen Goldstein. And as Dr. Goldstein, who happens to be um, an optometrist, he was leaving, he said, you know, you've got to get this guy, Jonathan Edwards, on. He's this amazing musician, and I know how you can reach him. And four years later, here he is. Ah, perseverance, I'm telling you. <laughs> exactly. And not through Dr. Goldstein, but he put the, he put the energy out there. Um, we have Jonathan Edwards in the studio. I'm really quite thrilled. He's a singer-songwriter who has been writing hit songs and playing for audiences all over the country for closing out on five decades. He has done 18 albums, and he's lived in 18 different zip codes. And uh, he's a legend, and he's here. That's right. It's unbelievable. Well, thanks for coming in today. My eye doctor and now me. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> from one to the other. Right. Um, it was pretty funny to think about um, one of the songs that you're known for, Sunshine, uh, which was done in 1971. That mm -hmm. happens to be the year that I was born, so now everybody Aww. knows how old I am. Aww. But I remember this song. I remember the song. My parents actually would play it on their record player because that's what they had back then in the 70s. Yeah. And um, and it was such a it was such an iconic 
song for the decade. And it's somehow the upbeat nature of it kind of was an interesting counterpoint to what was going on in the early 70s. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, the the genesis of the song came from my experience in military school for my high school years. I know it's might be you don't know me at all, but uh, it seems that I was uh, deemed a uh, a behavioral problem in in public school, my early years in public school, and so I found myself in military school, and so I got acquainted with the military and disenchanted with it at the same time. And uh, my dad was an ex-FBI agent, and I had just narrowly survived a pre-induction draft board physical where I tried to demonstrate how much I was ill-suited to life in the service and, and a tour of Vietnam or Cambodia or wherever we were at the time. Uh, And so I sat down on the bed with all those things in my mind, and I had this little folk melody running through my my head, and uh, those words just spilled out. You know, sunshine is in the morning, and don't don't you know, sunshine go away. I don't feel much like dancing. But very few people, you know, very few radio personalities, in fact, uh, really understood that that was a it was a war protest song. It was it was I was. I was tired of the direction that our, our our nation, our government was was taking on our behalf, and and so I wrote this little little cleverly uh, disguised folk song that people saw the title and went, oh, let's play that. It's cheery, and it was a cheery little melody. But um, like the third verse is, you know, he says in love and war, all is fair, but he's got cards he ain't showing. And here we are, some. I don't know how many 40-something years later and uh, still at it. Yeah, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about um, my family. My dad, he graduated from medical school in 1971. He was in the military at the time. He has uh, served through two different military conflicts. I've had three family members who went off to the Gulf War um, or went off to the Persian Gulf. And, And you're right, it's interesting that you know that you're right this is 44 years ago and we still we're still in the middle of it somehow yeah maybe not vietnam but certainly we're still we're oh, still yeah. out there in the middle of conflict oh yeah but you know it's it's a it's kind of a downer topic <laughs> well it is although i would say that i it, it seems as though we have more um respect for people in the military now than i believe we once did Mm -hmm. i wasn't really cognizant in the early 70s but but it seems as though we now are more supportive of the people who are trying to um fight for freedom keep our country safe and all that Uh uh-huh well it's a volunteer force now and it wasn't at that time it was conscription you you're going to go do this when you're 18 whether you want to or not which is terrifying to think of and that's the that's the that's the culture we lived in in the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I have a son who's 22. I can't imagine if somebody just said he's going overseas and exactly. then he may not come back. Uh, cor- correct. So you're you're kind of an interesting guy in that you have this military school background and you grew up in Minnesota. Is I was right? born in Minnesota and More... I was adopted when I was 9 months old. Okay. And uh by a lovely couple that uh, brought us to uh, Virginia so my dad could be in the government. 
And yet you ended up back again in art school. So even though you have this FBI, right. father in the FBI, right. accountant, military, lawyer, business, exactly. Yeah. But you went, you went to art school. Yeah, and that's that's uh, the credit is due to my parents, my adopted parents, who understood that I was not, you know, cut in the mold that they were made from, and uh, that I was a creative soul and a bit of a free spirit, and that I should follow my dream, and that was, you know, was was to, to be creative and to and to and to be always thinking about how to express myself with in creative ways instead of you know more demonstrative perhaps ways but you had the music kind of running through you you describe at some oh, point yeah. um beginning on a 29 dollar guitar oh yeah and and my my adoptive mom uh was a preacher's daughter and we were always involved with church and always she was always getting me to sing and you know and, and there was always a piano in the house and uh and i grew up on gospel music all the way from uh, all the way from gospel music to uh, Harry Belafonte, and uh, I was always, you know, I remember singing a solo in our our huge church uh, sanctuary when I was eight years old. They brought me out of the children's choir to be in the adult choir for a for a Sunday, and I remember how my voice sounded to me in that re- reverberant room and uh, the effect it had on me. Well, tell me about that. Tell me about the that effect, the effect that it had on you. I mean, it's this is something that I'm really interested in, having having sung in church myself, having been a soloist wow. in church myself, wow. and having felt that interesting, like there's just something that happens. There's right. some connectivity that, that occurs that I don't think I've ever been able to replicate in anything else that I've done. Tell me what that was like for you at the age of eight. Interesting. You're an interesting person as well. Well, some people would say, but, but we're talking about you now. Okay, fine. Um, you know, it, it was, it, it was profound. Um, it was a profound feeling to, uh, to have, to see visible effects of what I was singing in that church that morning. And, um, I, as a child, I, th- there was a lot that I didn't understand about life as most children, but I think I was really late in understanding a lot of life's concepts, um, all the way from understanding that you know winter came in February every year, you know, oh wow, you know, I learned that late in life. Um, just you know, I, I I didn't understand anything about politics or or religion or or behavior, obviously, um, but I understood music that that touched me, and I understood that I understood it, and so I kind of loved that experience and and I was always in minstrel shows and always trying to get on stage and taking part in that level of performance and creativity. So as someone who went to college and studied art, how did the, I guess, the educational experience um, regarding creativity, that sort of creativity, how did that influence your songwriting and your performance? Well, I started writing songs in military school. And my roommate, coincidentally, just came to my show. My military school roommate just came to the show, and I did in Oregon a week and a half ago or so. And uh, and it was great to see him again after, after many years. And we used to write poetry together 
and uh, you know trade trade words. We were wordsmiths, and and still he still writes, and obviously so do I. Um, it, it you know for, for me, like I said, I picked up the guitar and uh, in in military school, and if anything, if if so many things didn't make sense in my life, all of a sudden something made sense, and. It was. It was. I joke about it in my bio. You know, like the clouds part of the angel saying, "Ah," but that's really what it was like. I mean, it really was. Wow, this guy showed me a couple things to play on the guitar, and I was. I was. It made total sense. Something I could do with with no other help, with no other, you know, rules, um, except to make something that sounded good. And so I started writing songs right off the bat, but. My parents and I really realized that that there wasn't a living to be made at that in '61. So I better pick some other, you know, endeavor, artistic endeavor to to try. And so, art became the natural fallback. And so they sent me to the art school of Ohio University, which at the time was a was a really highly rated art school, and. This is all to say that all that creativity comes to bear on my on my songwriting and on my art. I mean, I did the record, I do the record covers of my records lately, and uh, it's you know it it it's all of a piece. I, <laughs> I I tell people it's part of the process. I know it doesn't seem like gardening is part of the process, but it is, and so is making compost, and so is uh, digging in the dirt and planting things, and uh, it's all. You know, being in the woods and being in, in nature is all part of my recipe for for putting stuff down on in the studio and on paper. So what does that look like as far as your living in Maine? Because you've been you've been all over the place. You've been in Austin, Texas, you've been up in Nova Scotia. Obviously you were born in Minnesota, you lived in Virginia, you've traveled. Yes. You, you've worked for the last, closing in on five decades. Yeah. <laughs> but what does that mean as far as the Maine connection for you? Well, I've always resonated with, with the Maine experience, hardworking people, real people. I mean, I've lived in Connecticut, you know, <laughs> lived in, in Texas. Uh, and I just I just love the, the people in Maine. And, the, uh, and I love the summer here and the fall and the spring. Too, mud season, all of it, um, and I love the uh, coastline. And I just recently uh, got rid of my boat, which is really hurting me this summer. But I had no time. There's no time with my schedule and what I've embarked upon promoting this new album to be in in any boat, never mind my own. So, um, but I, I've I've always loved the people here and and the fans and the and the the venues and. And I hope to to get a chance to live here in, in in Maine, and I made it happen. I'm impressed by the fact that you are. I'm allowed to say your age, right? Sure. That you're 69. Mm-hmm. It happens to be the age that my father is. Oh. And my dad just retired from seeing patients, but he loves family medicine so much that he continues to teach with the residency program at Maine Medical Center. 
You're nice. 69. You love what you do so much that you continue to write songs, perform, tour, promote your albums. That's saying a lot because there are a lot of people who are waiting just to get to your stage of life so that they can finally, quote, retire, unquote, <laughs> and then start living. But you're living. You are living the life that you want to live. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wake up every morning grateful and, and you know, happy that, that I can do that and have, have the ability to, to do that. And, and I think it's owing in great measure to the fact that I take good care of my audiences, you know, all, all these years. I make sure that, that I, I give it all up every night that I can on stage and, um, and the audiences respond to that. And that, that, that encourages me to even go deeper and on it goes and and even now I mean I'm, I'm learning so much every show I do I'm learning so much about how to do it and 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 what resonates with people and 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 what energizes me and and you know incentivizes me and and of course inspires me you've performed at the Stone Mountain Arts Center and yeah. You've performed at other venues around Maine and around the country. Do you have particular favorites? Are there places that you really enjoy being? Well, well Stone Mountain is certainly one of them up in Brownfield. It's it's an amazing venue, and they take such good care of us and their audiences. And the you know the food is great. The the the, the barn is great. It's just a wonderful place, and it, and very few people know about it. And I often, uh, Vince Gill is a friend of mine. He's on my new album, and uh, they they played there. I don't know, I want to say a year and a half ago or so. I went up to see him and stuff, and and I, I imagine what their bus ride was like on the way up that hill. <laughs> imagine that the band was going, "What in the world? Where are you taking us?" I know, dirt road, and you know this huge Silver Eagle bus. I imagine. I don't even know, but um, you know, it, it's. They, they didn't. Ha they had no idea what they were in for, and then they, of course, ended up like the rest of us, just loving it. But that—that's a favorite venue. There's there there are several all over the country. The Infinity Halls in Connecticut. There's two of them that are really, uh, you know, ha uh, re really good for us to play in, and audiences love it. You also happen to be working with a classmate of mine or a schoolmate of mine, Tom Snow, who yeah. plays piano, very talented. Yep. He used to play when I was singing way back when. Wow. We went to the same church. Wow. So I, know I can't wait to talk Tom with him. pretty well. Yeah, he's a very, very talented guy. And in addition to Tom, you've surrounded yourself with other very talented local musicians. Mm -hmm. um, you, But you've had the opportunity to play with or open for some pretty big names yeah bb king the allman brothers yeah um you mentored from what i understand uh, cheryl wheeler mm -hmm. i mean you really you've you've touched some of the musical community in so many different ways mm -hmm. how does that happen what's the progression just following your ears and following your heart and just you know trying to surround yourself with people that that inspire you and and make and make make you better make make you know make me more aware and sensitive and powerful by knowing these people like Tom and Joe Walsh and uh, many other folks around here and Cheryl you know, that you mentioned yeah it was wonderful uh, opening and being on the on the bill with with some of the great artists of of my generation 
And uh, I take that inspiration with me wherever I go. How has your songwriting changed over the years? I'm, I'm guessing that things from when you were in military school to now um, have probably shifted in your life. You're probably not exactly the same person that you once were. As far as the songwriting goes, has that has the subject matter um, changed? Has the way that you approach it changed? Yeah, the songwriting, I, I think, is getting uh, much deeper and and more more personal, more meaningful. Um, I used to write just anything that sounded good, you know, let it go with that, and and that's that that has a that has a lot of merit too. To uh, just just let your soul and spirit fly, and uh, and and go ahead and commit to words that that just sound good, and and the melodies that just sound good, and that 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 seem to follow some natural progression that that comes from the muse that I'm privileged enough to have visit once in a while. So has it changed? I don't I don't know. My my subject matter is a little more. I don't know. I I. I hesitate to say that anything has changed really people say well you've got you've made you know 18 albums or whatever and what's changed well if I really examine it not a whole lot the instrumentation's the same I'm learning to sing better I think than I ever have and uh, I'm listening far more accurately and more deeply and from a more emotional level than I ever did before, and so that may be the only thing that's changed. I'm still using banjos and mandolins and pianos and acoustic instruments and lots of harmony. Jonathan, you're going to play the song Tomorrow's Child, which is the title track from your latest album, Tomorrow's Child, and it features a pretty well-known singer-songwriter. Tell me a little bit about this song and who you worked with on this. Well, the song was, was written by um, Marcus Humman, who is a, is a Nashville songwriter that I have yet to meet, but I'm familiar with his work, and it was suggested to me to listen to and see if I could wrap my, my mind and my heart and my voice around his song, Tomorrow's Child, and it fit perfectly into the other songs that we had selected for this album and, and songs that I had written for this album. And uh, it... I, ca- I started calling up my friends uh, that I'd never done before. And so I suddenly felt so good about this record that I started, I had the confidence to call up people like Jerry Douglas to play some dobro and uh, Vince Gill to sing some harmony and Sean Colvin to come in and sing. And I thought, well, I'm on a roll. I might as well, you know, go for the holy grail of, of asking my distant friend, uh, Alison Krauss, to come in and sing. And she sings with me on this title cut, Tomorrow's Child. Days pass Like a moving river Always If you try and stop time, you will sink. And so I only have you for a little while. 
fortunate to have had the chance to talk with you about your music and to hear your likewise song and I encourage people to buy Tomorrow's Child or one of your other 17 right. albums or right. maybe 
see a performance that you will be doing locally. Um, how can people find out more about the work that you do? What is your website? Uh, JonathanEdwards.net has all the answers. They know more about my schedule than I do. Um, and these, these CDs come out of our house. You can buy them from, from our website. And uh, I'd love for people to hear, hear some of this new music. Well, thank you. Thank you for not only being willing to um, share so much of yourself, your life, your music, your words over the last almost five decades, but also thank you for being um, willing to take the time to speak with me in such a deeply personal and heartfelt way. My pleasure, Lisa. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Jonathan Edwards, who is a singer-songwriter who has written hit songs and playing for audiences all over the country for five decades. To learn more about Jonathan, go to jonathanedwards.net. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by their store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by McPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. In the studio with me today, we have Lyle Davinsky, who is a native of Portland by way of Searsmont. But in the past three years, Lyle has um, continued to prove that he owns any stage that he walks his bare feet onto. His contagious comfort breeds love and light to any crowd, bringing even the most sterile crowd to group sing-alongs fueled by love. He has been featured on national television as one of Fuse TV's artists to watch and was awarded the Songwriters Hall of Fame Abe Ullman Scholarship, of which John Legend received in 2002. And your bio goes on and on. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool that you're this kid from Portland and you've worked with... I don't know. This, here's some people on the list. We've got uh, Bobby McFerrin. We've got uh, John Schofield, Raphael Sadiq, Joe Cocker. I mean, there's some well, names on yeah. that. I mean, a little a little note is that those are the the people that I work with are people that worked with them. I see. So I see. I'm working my way there. Okay. But so we've got the degrees of separation. Degrees of separation, and you're pu- eliminating degrees. You're pulling them. Okay, that makes yes. sense. So. I'm interested. You're, you call yourself an unsuspecting soul man. Is mm-hmm. this because you didn't suspect you were a soul man or because other people would not suspect that you were a soul man? Well, I guess uh, the general appearance of a kind of overly hairy flannel wearing man from Maine wearing bean boots. You don't necessarily think about, uh, you know, singing songs that are kind of influenced by Marvin Gaye and Curtis Mayfield and Al Green, Donny Hathaway and things like that. So kind of like kind of like trying to get a little bit of a surprise in that sense. Why did you become interested in that type of music? I grew up around it. My dad is an amazing singer and in my opinion, the best singer ever and there's absolutely no bias in that statement. Um, 
<laughs> um, but so I grew up. I grew up listening to him sing. He would sing me to sleep with the guitar, and 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 when I was a baby, and um, and was playing in bands as I was growing up. So I was always around it. But you didn't come to singing yourself until somewhat later in your childhood. Right. Um, like every kid, you kind of rebel against your parents a little bit, and so uh, even if their things are really cool. Uh, so I thought I was going to be a basketball player, and then realized not quite hitting the six foot mark and only being able to jump about three inches off the ground. Uh, it was it was definitely a, 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 a <laughs> time to get away from that and find something new. <laughs> and yet. This is sort of how this all started. You were telling us before you came on the air that you one day were joking. You were joking with your coach about mm-hmm. singing the national anthem, and he and he actually called you on it. Yeah, and you did. You sang the national anthem before Had a basketball to. game. Uh huh. And fell in love with it right there. It was it was pretty funny. Kind of a hilarious song to fall fall in love with performance with, but uh, yeah, it really turned things around for me. How old were you then? I was seventeen. So junior, senior? Junior, yeah. So at that point, you still had some time to actually take advantage of, you know, being a high school kid and getting some musical musical education. Definitely, definitely. I didn't really I didn't really get much on the um academic education until I went to college. Um but I fell in love with it and I was friends with a lot of musicians around, so I I kind of got experiential education pretty immediately, which I'm very lucky for. So tell me about college. What did you decide to study? Um, I went in, I took a year off in between high school and college, traveled a little bit, um, and played a little bit around town. And then um, when I got to college, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to keep music kind of the the hobby or the like the side passion and not the business just to kind of keep it pure and everything. Um, but I quickly realized the more that I was trying to involve myself with other things that the only thing I wanted to do was play music. So I ended up studying music and English literature. So it was a pretty expensive but very influential and wonderful way to play music and read books. <laughs> well, tell me about the English literature piece of this. I mean, as a singer-songwriter, I would guess that there it actually wasn't that... Um far off. Oh, it was amazing. It was really amazing. Um, getting a chance to work with incredible professors, reading incredible novels and poetry, and um, and being able to discuss it at such an intense level it was a really, really wonderful experience, and being able to kind of fall in love even more with language and the way that you can say a lot with a little, or how if you aren't paying attention, you can say a little with a lot. So, um, so it really got me. It, it it made me fall in love even more with uh, being a lyricist. You have a little bit of a wanderer thing going on with you. You were in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and you earned you actually earned a living, according to our audio producer and fellow musician Spencer Alby. Yeah. You earned a living on the streets, singing and playing. Yeah. Yeah, started in the. I worked a coffee shop for like three days, and that was that was terrible. And so I went down, played in the subway, and made uh, like twice the money that I had made in the three days at the coffee shop, just like hanging out in the subways and playing. I was like, "Ooh, this is kind of nice." And it was also, I mean, talk about 
people watching in discovery and like getting to talk to people that you would never ever run into um it was amazing it was kind of a sociological study in a lot of senses um but so played down in the subway and then kind of as the time went on um the above ground gigs started to kind of allow me to get out of the subway more and more and so it was kind of a it was fun because you, you a lot of the places in New York you play for past the hat until you can pack a club. And so I would play a bunch of gigs, but I'd have to basically pay to play in a lot of senses because um, I had a band and you know they're all working musicians and, and gotta make sure that they make their money. And so I go down in the subway and like make enough to pay the guys um, you know, the couple days leading up. Uh, and then slowly but surely, it got to the point where I could pay them and I didn't have to do the subway. And then it got to the point where I started making money and it was like, oh, wait, I don't I don't think I have to do the subway anymore. This is cool. Um, but I still did it every now and again. I got a little tired of it by the end, but it was, it was a really incredible experience. It's an amazing community down there and uh, a lot of talent, sometimes troubled talent and sometimes be world famous musicians that were just off tour for a couple months and wanted to make a little extra money during the day. So it was a really incredible community. I would think that it would contribute to this sense of creative openness that you're describing that this, you don't, you go down there, you have yourself mm-hmm. and you play, mm-hmm. you sing, but then you don't really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Some days you'll make some money. Some days you won't. Mm-hmm. Some days you'll meet some fun people. Some days you don't. Yep. And for Absolutely. to do that for six or seven years. Well, I did I did that for about two and a half, two and a half years. But yeah, I mean, even that, I mean, towards the end, I definitely got burnt out on the, you never know what's going to happen. Like the, granted, the music, the, any, any, any art as a profession, consistency is not necessarily the, uh, the word associated with it. Um, but it kind of got to be a little too much down there where you know some days you go and you get the spot that you were hoping for right away and you make great money and then the other day you go and you spend four hours looking for a spot and they're all taken and then somebody says they're going to hold it for you and then they don't and then you don't make any money but you've been out for four five hours or something like that and you walk home empty handed and yeah it was a that was definitely a huge motivation as well to to get more gigs and to and to find more ways of making making a living without having to compromise um but then the creativity aspect that you're talking about i think it was huge for me because i think about the first time that i went down to the subway and i was uh it took me about an hour to finally play because i was so nervous i got down and i like stood at the place because I, I was like okay this is the place that I'm going to play I put my guitar case down and I'm about to undo it and then I was like this is weird I don't know if I can do it <laughs> and then finally I brought my guitar out and then I started I strummed a chord and somebody looked up at me and I was like oh no I don't know if I can do it <laughs> and finally did it and and it was awesome and then slowly but surely the the nerves that I had about always wanting to be perfect when I sing and always wanting, like never wanting to mess up and never wanting to do anything that uh, uh, that wouldn't be top notch. 
um, started to fade away because I realized that it was a safe place to try things because seven minutes after I sing this right now, the subways are going to come and clear out these people. It's almost like hitting the reset button or like, you know, you lose a life in a video game, but like you get to hit continue and get to try it again. And so then constantly get to learn and like, I'm going to try this in this song. Oh, that didn't work. Well, I'll try it again. Okay. I guess it doesn't work and then move on and try something else. And so it was a really good learning experience and also kind of a, humbling in a sense of just like bringing me down to reality and being it's okay to it's okay to mess up because that's how you learn yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing that you're talking about because performance is um you know it's kind of a conversation between yourself and the audience mm-hmm. and so you want you want to be able to kind of put yourself forward as having the best possible conversation but in order to get to that place you actually have to have had prior conversations where mm-hmm. you weren't really putting yourself forward in the best possible way mm-hmm. so you kind of need to have that you need to have that you need to have that practice space yeah but but practicing by yourself doesn't give you what practicing in front of people right. gives you right you have to be comfortable with vulnerability right and i think most people aren't yeah absolutely absolutely but i think that that's like it's grown to be it's grown to be an like an imperative part of my live performance i think is the interaction within and i'm not always there and those are usually the ones that i'm the the performances that i don't dig um but i think that that's the i mean just like any conversation one on one if if you're not willing to open yourself up and you're closed off and you have your you're set in your own ways then how are you going to grow from the experience because you're just going to be right where you started at the beginning so it's not necessarily going to be a valuable experience for anybody no it's true I, th- I think you know you're 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 talking about something that um i think a lot of people who have things that they would like to explore creatively and they're th- that's one of the the kind of big mind blocks that's the that's one of the things that they actually have to move past in order to get to that exploration Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's the type of thing that happens over and over and over again it's not like oh i i I moved past it's like oh i moved past and now i'm back again i'm gonna move past again right and now i'm back again right so and that's kind of the nature of living but then on the other side of it you could choose something safe i mean you could go choose to do you could choose to not be a singer songwriter not perform not write um you could choose to go work in a coffee shop and there's nothing wrong with that no it's all what works for everybody. Right. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting who decides to, and I've seen this in in talking to musicians, that it seems like there's a willingness. There's some, whatever it is about music that kind of keeps the spark going, there's a willingness to kind of keep showing up and recreating and performing. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I wonder what that is about. I don't know. I don't want to say all musicians are the same, but I wonder what that is about an artist's or a musician's personality. Yeah, I mean... Thinking about it, I don't even know if it's necessarily a willingness. I think it's almost the need when it comes to it. You know, somebody... I mean, I think about this often, what I would do if I wasn't a musician, if I didn't have the opportunity to perform. And I have no idea because at this point I've been doing it long enough and it's the thing that I know and the thing that I love. And I I know that if I go for, you know, a month or more without performing... It's like, it's almost like a fix. 
in a certain sense, which is so so interesting to think about, where it's like, and that I mean, I guess that gets me thinking about uh, the reason the reasons for it. But I think that it's also it's all, I think what it boils down to is it's about having stimulating conversations and transference of energy. It's like if you didn't if you were locked in a in a room for a month, you'd be going crazy. And granted, I'm you know they're not saying that the only way to achieve that is a perform is is performance, but it's something that I've grown attached to in a lot of senses, and something that I that I absolutely love and that I learn from, and that is. Um, It's become a need, I think, which is really interesting to think about. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, you're talking, you know, there's a one-on-one conversation, but if you're talking about as a musician performing, it, like the crowd energy is so different than mm-hmm. just the, if just you and I having a conversation oh, yeah. with microphones between us. Oh, yeah. So that it's almost like this specific group of people who got together on this specific day specific time creates the specific creature that you're communicating with oh yeah and so to see the, how that changes absolutely. over over time absolutely that must be very interesting oh sure i mean that's that's why there will never be a show that's the same as the other you know even i mean even if you have a super rehearsed show even if there's some you know you're playing with a with a top level act that has every part of the every piece of the show just down to a t it's always going to be the little things that that come out, but I mean, you think about a show that you play at a club. You go over to Portland House of Music and Events and play show for a couple hundred people, and then you go and you play an acoustic show for twenty people. You play a house show. Those are going to be two very, very different experiences, and two very different conversations, and two very different. You're vulnerable in different ways, and. You know, when you have a, a bigger crowd with more, and en- there's a more, there's more energy, but there's not as much of a, an articulated energy in a certain sense. Because then, when you're playing a house show, you're looking the people right in the eye, and you can see their reactions as you're singing. And so, like, you know, you talk about messing up a little bit if you hit like one little note. I think that's part of the reason why I close my eyes pretty much every time I play. Is uh, I think I think there's, I'm still a little nervous about that. But it kind of, yeah, I don't know. Um, but it's really interesting, just the different, uh, the different environments and the different shows and numbers of people, and uh, whether it's a theater or a basement club or a house or whatnot, or sitting around a campfire. It's a completely different thing. So the same song can mean so many different things and, and bring about a lot of different learning. In your latest album, Lyle Davinsky, Uneven Floors, you have a song called The Way, which Mm -hmm. we're going to play for the people who are listening. Tell us about that. It's, it's honoring a lot of the music that I, that I grew up with a lot of the old soul, the kind of Motown, Al Green kind of stuff. Um, But it's also a song that's all about love. And I think that when I listen to a lot of to a lot of music, and I think about a lot of the music that I love, it's so easy to write, or so much easy. I'm not going to say so easy because it's so hard, um, but it's so much easier to write uh, when things are bad because you have like this stuff that you got to get out, you got to shake it off. But then 
um, it's I feel like it's kind of difficult to write a song about love and about just cherishing somebody without it kind of going into cheesy and I'm not even saying a love song like you know baby be mine just like I don't know um, it, it was kind of my attempt at that at, at writing a, a fun song that's all about love and all about being happy um, and it's actually kind of funny because it stemmed from uh, the day before I was uh, kind of playing therapist to four different friends who are going through breakups um, and so I think that it was it was actually like a, a need and desire to kind of like put some balance and equilibrium to the spectrum of of happy happiness and sadness so yeah well we're gonna play this for people right now and I'm sure that after having heard this they're going to want to um, get your album uneven floors so you're gonna tell us afterwards how to do that sounds great
And Lyle, where can people find Uneven Floors? Well, right now, it's uh, the album is just released physically, and so it's not on it's not um, digital until uh, the beginning of November. So, if you're local, you can get it at um, Bull Moose in Portland, uh, South Portland, or Scarborough. Um, you can also, if you're outside of Maine, um, go to my website, LyleDavinsky.com, and you can order it, and I'll send it to you. And I might even type up a little thank you note too. Do you have any fun performances coming up? Um, well, I'm playing every Monday with uh, with Model Airplane over at um, Portland House of Music and Events. Um, I have a, a couple other uh, weekly things that are just kind of ending right now. Um, but then I'm having my New York City release in um, on November 6th, and then I'll be trying to get out on the road and and playing for as many people as I can. So, but it's always, it, if you go to LyleDavinsky.com, then I'll have them all listed there. Will your dad ever come along? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get, I get him out every uh, every chance I get. He's a, he's a, a teacher over at Paths, so it's tough to get him to travel during the school year, but he's getting close to retirement, so I might be bringing him on the road when I can. <laughs> Well, I encourage people who are listening to uh, go to your website to find out more about your live performances, but also to buy your CD. I think that um, sometimes we forget how much effort goes into creating the music that we listen to. And when you actually have a CD in your hand, it, it causes you to remember again mm-hmm. that this is um, there's a lot of there's a lot of soul in here. And mm. it's probably worth the uh, I don't know, whatever it is, $15 for people to only 10 Oh my goodness! So oh, it's yeah. it's a bargain. Come on so now. exactly, um, we've been speaking with Lyle Davinsky, who is a local singer songwriter. More than local, I guess we'll say national New York. We'll we'll give you working lo- our way, working our way up to the international scene. I'm sure we will see you on the international scene. Um, thanks for coming in today, and thanks Thank for you so sharing much for your music. Me. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay whose 15 years of experience and unique perspective on the industry puts creativity and enjoyment into house hunting. Specializing in properties in Southern Maine, Mary will work with you to get to know your wants, desires, and dreams, and make sure that the home that you move into is as close to perfect as it gets. And she'll make sure you have fun along the way, because while moving is one of the more stressful life events you'll encounter, finding the right home doesn't have to be. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in Southern Maine, be in touch with Mary and find out more about why, when it comes to buying and selling real estate, a good time really can be had by all. Mary Libby of Remax by the Bay. If you don't have fun doing something, why do it at all? Go to MaryLibby.com for more information. You've been listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 214, Soul Music. Our guests have included Jonathan Edwards and Lyle Davinsky. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love Main Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belayo. I hope that you have enjoyed our soul music show. 
Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, McPage, Apothecary by Design, The Rooms, and Mary Libby. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Clinton. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis, and our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our host production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com. <laughs>